This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. I want to ask a big favor from all of you, my fantastic listeners. One great way for me to reach new people with this podcast is to win an award. The Quill Podcast Awards were just recently launched and they're listener-nominated awards. The link is in the show notes, and I would be so appreciative if you took three minutes and nominated this podcast in the society and culture category. There are a variety of categories, but you only have to put in entries in the ones you want, so it takes no time at all. Thank you so much in advance. Today, I am interviewing Georgia Clark about It Had to Be You. Georgia wrote the novels The Regulars, The Bucket List, It Had to Be You, and several others. She's the host and founder of the popular storytelling night Generation Women. A native Australian, she lives in Brooklyn with her wife and a fridge full of cheese. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of Seven Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Welcome, Georgia. How are you today? I'm really well. How are you? I am also really well. I feel like we finally have turned a corner with the pandemic, and while it's not nearly done, things are starting to look brighter. Yes, I feel the same way coming into some beautiful warm weather in New York. And there's just something about the oncoming spring and summer that just makes me feel so hopeful and so excited for this summer. I'm the exact same way. So that is just such a nice feeling. I feel like a bit of a burden has lifted. Yeah, definitely. Well, I loved your book. It was so much fun to read and really a perfect read for right now. So why don't we start out with you just talking a little bit about it, kind of give me the quick summary of It Had to Be You. Sure. It Had to Be You is my first rom-com, and oh boy, is it a rom-com. Not one, but five love stories interweave around a central pairing of Liv and Savannah. Liv is a New York-based wedding planner. She had a wedding planning company with her husband, Elliot, up until the moment that he unexpectedly dies and even more unexpectedly leaves his half of the business to Savannah, who is Liv's polar opposite in every way conceivable, not just in age. Savannah is in her early 20s, Liv's 49, but their outlooks on life, Liv's a cynic, Savannah's an optimist. And the novel sort of takes place over the course of the year of these two women being forced together to revive this now failing wedding planning company. Savannah didn't know Elliot was married and is excited to help Liv rebuild this company that does the most noble thing of all, which is celebrate people's love for each other. And the other storylines are from the perspectives of the various vendors who work the wedding. So the florists and the caterers and the musicians, all of them have a separate love story interweaving in like a Love Actually style braided narrative to create what I hope is a hopeful, sexy, big-hearted romantic comedy. I thought it was kind of a fun way for you to do it. And I love that it was the different vendors that had their love stories. Yeah, yeah. I was getting married over the course of 
writing, ideating and writing this book. So I guess I had weddings on the brain and was meeting and, and you know, dealing with a lot of, of vendors. And it made me think about the feeling of love and the experience of love through their eyes as, as people whose day jobs or kind of side hustles are helping this, you know, performance of love for other people. I think that's kind of interesting to think about, you know, who's how things look from the outside. One of my questions for you was what inspired you to write this one. So it sounds like part of it was that you were getting married. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. I I asked my then girlfriend, now wife, to marry me in the fall of 2018 and that we got married in the summer of 2019. And that was all taking place over the kind of construction of this novel. And weddings fascinate me as they obviously fascinate a lot of people because they're still a part of our key cultural traditions. And the moment I started to think, like scratch the surface about being a bride, having a wedding, planning a wedding, you know, being in the, the center of this very, very important moment, I realized how rife for conflict it all was and how overwhelming it sort of is. The idea that I really wanted to tease out in the book, like the central thematic premise, is this idea of like tradition versus modernity. And when you're getting married, you cannot help but start to tease out what that means to you because weddings are steeped in traditions, wearing white, walking down an aisle, like all of the, you know, these are all old ideas that come from all different places, like a hodgepodge of different places. And you have to figure out, well, what do I want to keep? What is What traditions feel like us, me, us? And what do I want to leave behind and reinvent? And in a way, that's kind of what all the characters are grappling with in the novel as far as their own attitudes towards love and commitment and what that means to them. Like what what are their personal traditions that are really important that feel like they want to see born out in their new relationship and what isn't really serving them anymore? What can they leave behind? Yeah, those were definitely the questions I was asking myself. I mean, you can get yourself into a real existential crisis by asking, do I want to wear a white dress? Like, Yes, I do. Why do I want to wear a white dress? Is that really me? Is that reflective of my reality right now? Like, you know, and having to ask those questions over and over again, you kind of drive you crazy, but also we're kind of great fodder for creating something that hopefully feels authentic and, and relevant to, you know, a modern era. Well, I got married in 1999, so it's been a while. <laughs> and it was obviously pre-Instagram and Facebook and all of that. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like to get married today and trying to balance just even those aspects of it, let alone all of the other technological changes that have come about and different ways of doing things. And every once in a while, I'll see people posting about a wedding and I think, oh my gosh, I just it, it's changed a lot even in that amount of time. Yeah, we actually had a phone-free wedding, which was one of the best things we did. I mean, I could talk endlessly about wedding planning now, obviously, <laughs> but that was, uh, yeah, taking that out of the equation allowed people to be far more focused and in the moment, which is very difficult to do these days. I mean, even having the, you know, I feel like my, my I've always been a pretty good reader. Like I read a lot when I was a kid and I can, I have a pretty good attention span, but even my attention span has been terribly shortened by social media. I just have to put my phone in the other room, and that's about the only way. If not, I feel like there's this just weird, invisible pull. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. Oh, it is. It's just awful. 
Well, switching to a rom-com, what was that like? I loved it. I This is my fifth novel. I wrote two YAs and then two, I guess, general fiction, contemporary general fiction novels. And they all had a, a love story as a part of it, but they weren't by definition a rom-com. They, uh, the rom-coms, the romantic storylines were subplots. And I was, I've just always been a fan of rom-coms. I read rom-coms. I, wa- I you know, I watch them and I just felt like it would be a really fun challenge. The genre is very sophisticated and I think it's full of creators who are, you know, have diverse voices. It's, I, whenever I tell people that I write romance or write rom-com, if you don't, you know, if you're not a reader yourself, you assume it's Fabio on the cover revealing, (laughs) you know, a thousand abs clutching sort of a helpless woman to his chest. Like that's what people think. Of course, that still does exist, but it's one of many, many, many beautiful flowers in the forest of of romantic comedy. And I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a queer woman. I'm a sensitive, big-hearted romantic. I love love. I love, I love everything from first kisses to how you think about like sustaining love, what it means, long-term commitment, marriage, everything to do with it. I'm, I'm interested in, and I wanted to. I don't know, try something different, I suppose. And I I really liked it. I really felt like with this book, I found my groove as a writer in a way that I really hadn't before. And hopefully my readers will uh, agree. It was a true delight. I, I kind of feel like I'm sort of addicted to that feel good, big hearted feeling that you get when you see people overcoming odds and, you know, grand gestures and all that kind of stuff. So it was really fun to play in this space with all of these characters who I feel like are my family and that I know them so well. It was honestly a true joy from beginning to end to write it. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, that's, you don't hear that that often. So that's fabulous. I know. I find that so curious. I used to, I used to go to a lot of author events back when we were allowed to do that. And one of the questions that I would like to ask is like, what is the most pleasurable part of the process for you? Like, what do you like about writing? And so often authors would just say nothing. I don't like anything about it. And it would always make me, and they were kind of, you know, it was kind of a joke and whatever, because we all know writing is tough. Of course, every, you know, I'm not saying it was easy. I had, we sold this novel actually off a 25,000 word submission that I had been working on for a year. And after we sold it, I had a conversation with my agent over a drink where I said, look, do you really like this submission? Like, do you really like this writing? And she said, no. (laughs) And then (laughs) she uh, kind of, uh, I led a conversation which led to that being thrown out and starting again. Not easy, you know. So I'm not saying it's easy, but I just personally find so much pleasure in the act of writing. And part of that is I've been doing this for, you know, a while. And so I, my talent and my taste are kind of finally catching up to each other. But just like I'm a Pisces, I'm just prone to fantasy. All I want to do is live in a dreamy other world. Like I'm just constantly sort of slightly reality, fine. Fantasy, yeah, that's where I want to be. And so being able to write for a living and spend time in this sort of fun, sexy, charming, dreamy place, I mean, that's it's my catnip. That's all I want to do. It's a dream come true. It is a dream come true. That's true, Cindy. <laughs> and it's a nice time to be writing a rom-com because they're so popular now. I mean, they're everywhere and so many great stories, and it just seems like that genre is really booming. 
Yeah, I kind of feel like rom-com is like alcohol. You're always in the mood for it. You know, you'll like it when you're in a good mood, like it when you're in a bad mood. You'll watch it with friends, watch it alone. Like romance and romantic comedies, I mean, they are a part of the human condition for most people. You know, the idea of falling in love, everything from having a crush on a celebrity to being married for 50 years, like this all falls under the umbrella of romance and love. And, and also it's just you know, as someone who is queer, it's a really interesting time because I think we're in a very fresh, exploratory, cultural moment when it comes to sexuality. And, you know, I don't know what the current statistics are of how many people in their 20s identify as being part of like the LGBT community, but I know it's very high. It feels like it just gets higher all the time. And that's because we're just having a more open, sophisticated conversation about what that means. And that's really exciting as well, because that, you know, that all kind of falls under this umbrella of romance and romantic comedy. And at the end of the day, a rom-com by definition is hopeful because most rom-coms end with a a couple being together, happy for now, happy forever, however it is. And I think we need a little bit of that hope and joy and to be reminded that life-changing love is out there for all of us, which I really believe in. Well, and I think as we've sat at home for the last year and there's been so much grim news, mm-hmm. I think turning to happier things, you know, that that definitely brings people hope and also just sort of takes them away from what we're dealing with day to day. You know, I'm just happy that my close friends and my family made it through and that's, you know, that's enough for me. And And it's all our personal relationships are what define the quality of our life. Paraphrase the relationship therapist, Esther Perel, who I love. And she says the quality of our lives are defined by the quality of our relationships. And I think that's really true. I think that's true too. And I agree with you that that has been a definite positive of the pandemic. And the other thing for me, I have three teenagers and I feel like it's just helped them slow down. All of Mm -hmm. us slow down. We're not going at that frenetic pace that we were when all of this began. And that to me is a huge blessing. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a huge shift. Well, what about title and cover? I'm always totally fascinated with how the title comes about, how your cover comes about. I really like your cover because I have to say I'm not always a fan of some of the rom-com covers, but yours is beautiful. So can you talk a little bit about the title and cover? Yeah, yeah. I do have some stories to tell on that. (laughs) What a surprise. Uh, So the title went through a few changes. It was first called the first name of Liv and Elliot's wedding planning business was Better Wed Than Dead. And That was more reflective of the tone of the submission that we threw out, which was darker in tone. It was, to quote my agent, a spiky story. And I, I, I liked it. Liv, who in that earlier draft was Jude, Jude, and she was just way more cynical, just a darker kind of outlook on life. And so the, the name of the wedding planning business, Better Wed Than Dead, kind of reflected that it was a little (laughs) anti-wedding. Sounds like a mystery. Yeah, that's what my, that is exactly what my agent said. She's like, it sounds like uh, a wedding planner who solves murder mysteries. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I get it. Like that's not, yeah. And so then we changed the name of the wedding planning business to In Love in New York. And that was the working title for a while. And that's what I thought it was going to be called. And then my uh, smart editor, Emily, said that it was a little too regional, like things that have New York in the title, it can some people like that. Some people, it feels like it's, oh, this isn't for me because I don't live in New York, you know? And of course we want to write a book that everyone buys. So, and it was a little tricky. She said, in love in New York, it doesn't really flow off the tongue. And so 
we came in, my my agent and and my editor and I and some assistants were in a meeting to come up with the name of the title, which really terrified me actually, because I think obviously names are so important. And I had been thinking over the course of the whole construction of the book, I, I really wanted like a unique title, you know, like Sleepless in Seattle when Harry met Sally, like something iconic. And I, I couldn't do it, you guys. Like I just couldn't think of it. And then we were in this meeting and we were just talking about like, you know, it's a classic rom-com in so many ways. What are some kind of ways we can echo that classic feeling? And I'm a huge jazz fan. My dad's a jazz musician. I, I you know, love and listen to a lot of jazz. And so we started to kind of talk through classic jazz love songs and we narrowed it down to It Had to Be You and At Last and then I put them both up on my Instagram and to take a quick straw poll, which I do from time to time. It's always good just to get like a basic show of hands. And overwhelmingly, people liked It Had to Be You. So that was the title. And then for the cover, I started by making up a collage of six of my recent favorite rom-coms whose covers I really liked and I like the stories that I felt were reflecting where the genre is at right now. And some of the covers were Red, White and Royal Blue, The Unhoneymooners, Evie Drake Starts Over, The Wedding Date, a few other, Talia Hibbert was in there. And they all have like a bold, bold fonts, bright colors, hand-drawn illustrations. Like there is sort of, I wanted the book to feel like it was at the party, you know, it was meant to be in the right place. It looked like the, the general look of these other, you know, major bestsellers. It must work for them. It'll work for me, right? Hey, why not? You know, I, there's some part of me that I used to do a lot of reinventing of the wheel when I was younger. And then sort of like as I'm getting older, I'm like, maybe I need to do that. Maybe you can just kind of like go with what's already going on, like where the energy is or whatever. Uh, and then my, I sort of, and I gave a bit of a brief to the designer that I didn't want to have anything that wasn't inclusive on the front cover, like like a thin white bride or male, female cake toppers. You know, I didn't want to have any, like I just want it to be more inclusive. And so uh, the designer came back with six and then we sort of narrowed it down. Again, like I was getting a lot of opinions and hot takes from <laughs> friends and designers and early readers. I had a lot of early readers on this novel, like way, way more than I usually do. There was something about it. Maybe it was the size of it or the scope of it or how big I wanted it to be or something like that that just led it to being something that had like 20 early readers, whereas now I'm working on my new novel, I have like none. I'm <laughs> just working with my team, which is sort of funny how those things go. And then, yeah, we sort of just narrowed it down. Uh, and actually I have a post on my Instagram which goes through all of the covers that we had and, and how we narrowed it down to the final one if you're interested. Oh, I am. Okay, good. I'm going to look back at that because covers are one of my favorite things. I find them fascinating and I don't think sometimes people pay enough attention. I think it can really make or break a book. So I'm always so curious to hear how they all come about. And that's completely fascinating to me on the title because I've not ever seen an author do that. And I missed when when you were doing it. But recently, Erica Roebuck just did the same thing for her new one. She had three titles and she put out a poll and everybody could vote. And I don't know what the results were yet, but that's a fun way to do it. Kind of draw the reader in and then definitely makes them want to read the book when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theoretically, the funny thing about being a novelist is there's no job description beyond write a book, and so so much of the behind the scenes process you kind of figure out for yourself. 
And I like my kind of attitude to life is just do it until someone tells you not to kind of thing. Um, you know, beg for forgiveness or whatever that saying is. So often I just find myself being like, well, this is kind of what I want. So I'm going to do this. Like even like making up the collage and sending it in, no one had said, oh, you can do that. You know, if you like, I was like, I think I can do this. So I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Well, I've heard authors talk about making Pinterest boards and then mm. sending the, the designers there. So I think it's the same idea. You just kind of did it by directly sending it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone kind of does it their own way. Well, and I could see where you would have more early readers for this one because you were switching genres. Your next book, is it going to be in the same genre? Yes. Loosely speaking, yes. It's I really enjoyed rom-com. I think that is, for now, that's what I feel like I the space I want to work in. And I also really enjoyed the ensemble nature of it. There's 10 couples in It Had to Be You. And in my new book, there's nine characters. And it's another ensemble comedy drama in a set in a beautiful, wild place. And there is a queer rom-com at the giant beating heart of it. I've never written a central, like, girl-on-girl love story. I've They've kind of sprinkled throughout my work, but I've never had it as the central story, which is terrible. And so I was really determined before I started writing this book. I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't know why I haven't done it before. It didn't really make sense for my main characters in the past, but this one, it's definitely going to be a adorable, charming, sexy, funny, two young women falling in love with each other against all the odds kind of kind of thing. So that's what I'm working on now. I'm in the second draft for it. Before we wrap up, I always love to hear what authors have read and recommend. So what have you read lately that you really liked? Yeah, I just finished um, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam, which it came out a while ago, like in the last year. So I'm not, it's not like a brand, brand new release, but it is so good, especially on the line level. It, it's so tightly, precisely written, and it is a a dark comedy, maybe stretching the definition of comedy uh, story, contemporary story. And I, I, I really loved that. I also over lockdown read or reread all of Karen Russell's work. Is She's one of my favorite authors. She, her debut novel was Swamplandia. She's a, a young, pretty naturally talented writer. Um, but Vampires in the Lemon Grove is my recommendation of I, I like, it's my favorite book of hers and a collection of short stories that will change your life forever. I feel like I will never be the same after reading her work. And the rom-coms that I'm looking forward to coming out this season, of course, there are always so many good ones. One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston, The Heart Principle by Helen Huang, and Second First Impressions by fellow Aussie Sally Thorne are all going to be major releases this summer and they're all going to be so good. I cannot wait to read them. Well, all of those sound good. And I don't think I'm familiar with any of them, but the first one. Oh, right. Oh, Karen Russell is incredible. Uh, she wrote her first, uh, published her first collection of short stories at 25. Can you believe? No. Uh, <laughs> St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. I think that's it. Um, don't at me. And then her latest book was uh, Sleep Donation, which I just finished. And it, she writes... It, it almost is underselling her to say quirky or eccentric. Like I feel like those words kind of describe like, I don't know, Zoe Deschanel or something, whereas it's incredibly literary, very 
just a strange, wonderful, strange premises. Um, there's a story in Vampires in the Lemon Grove called The Barn at the End of Our Term, which imagines that all former presidents of the United States get reincarnated as horses who live in a barn in a farm and they have all of their knowledge and they have the, they are the former presidents, but in the bodies of these horses, it is such an, like, a strange premise like who thinks of things like that and she the story is just amazing oh i just love her anyway so read vampires in the lemon grove read the barn at the end of our our term and tell me all of your thoughts about it i certainly will when you were describing it i thought i've got to look that one up because i don't know it but if it's going to change my life i must read it it will change your life i guarantee it (laughs) and then i'll get back with you Well, Georgia, thank you so much for joining me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yes, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would also really appreciate it if you took a few minutes and filled out the Quill Podcast Awards and nominated my podcast in the Society and Culture category. George's book can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.